All right. So have you ever taken a gamble on something, like you took a pretty big risk, like it just felt huge? Maybe it was a big-time financial purchase you wanted to make, your truck, your home. Maybe it was a guy or a girl you wanted to pursue. Maybe it was moving to Fort McMurray. And with that came the crushing anxiety that comes from waiting to find out if the risk will pay off. Well, in today's Jesus story, we, over the summer we're in a, a series, we're going to look at a bunch of Jesus stories. We're going to look at a little anxiety that the disciples experienced, but at the same time, we're going to see Jesus step into that worry and offer confident hope. Our, our story comes as Jesus and his disciples decide to take a little trip across the Sea of Galilee. We'll read how the Apostle Mark describes this. It's found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. You can Read it on your Bible app, or you can follow along on the screen. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they uh, took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with him. uh, And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a pillow the disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care don't you care if we drown he got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves quiet be still then the wind died down and it was completely calm he said to his disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith they were terrified and asked each other who is this even the wind and the waves obey him Now put yourselves in the shoes of these disciples. What what do you think it would have been like to experience the storm? Now now some of you might know because uh, like a lot of northern Canadians, we have stories of tense times out on the lake in a storm. You know, I've done my share of canoe tripping and been caught when a storm whips out and when you're in the middle of a lake and it's a bit tense as you try to get to the safety of shore. But for me, uh, one of the most uh, memorable storm experience I ever had was... uh, when uh, there were these waves of intense thunderstorms that came out of nowhere, but, but suddenly you could see the storm, uh, and then another wave of the storm tracking right towards us. I was fishing on a large lake in northwestern Ontario. It's called Lake Shabandawan, and, and my friend Ken, who was a fishing fanatic, took me to this unpopulated lower end of the lake where all of the good fish were supposed to be. It's an awesome walleye lake. Well, we left the launch in a beautiful sun-drenched uh, afternoon, but no sooner we got to the honey hole that really was good when suddenly the wind started to whip up ferociously and, and very quickly the small uh, 14-foot runabout was starting to be knocked around by the waves. The waves started to crest the boat. We're being tossed by the waves. Uh, we're taking in water. It's June and the water is cold. I am not wanting to go for a swim in this. Then comes the rain and the thunder and the lightning and quickly we got the anchor up and we attempt to head to safety. But that wasn't going to be so easy. There were actually multiple waves of this storm crossing the lake and every time we tried to head for shore, this evil monster storm would cut us off at the pass. My friend, Ken Parker, who was a pastor of a charismatic fellowship in Thunder Bay and Uh, I was just beginning to wonder what he had done to rile up either God or the devil that no matter what we tried to do, we were cut off by winds and waves and rain and lightning. I assumed, of course, that I was innocent, uh, that maybe Ken was like that Old Testament prophet Jonah, you know, uh, who got in trouble with God, uh, for those of you who know the story. 
So Ken would take the boat and ride the waves to avoid taking in more water. And as he did, the waves would actually launch us right into the air. It was incredible. And Ken started to laugh and holler uncontrollably. He was getting a buzz from this near-death situation. I was sure that on one of those descents down off the wave, as the next wave came in over us, uh, this little boat we were in would just go under. Did I mention it was June? The water is frigid. Yeah. So I decided, hmm, probably time that I should put on a life jacket. That just made Ken laugh louder. I I mean, it was a truly tense situation. I I was waiting for, I thought I saw a water spout, but I think I was just imagining it was just that the clouds were swirling so much, and I'm sure it was just going to come and get us. But with the life jacket now on, the boat launched into the air one more time, yeah. As we tried to head away from the storm and only to have it track right into where we went. It was like there was a target on it as it was after us. And, and as we tried and tried, Ken just kept laughing and howling. He was now on adrenaline overload. If we were going to die, we were going to die laughing. Uh, it's all you could do at, at that point in time but, but laugh. And uh, I mean, we really hadn't done anything stupid up until that point. Okay, my wife would tell me I should have had the life jacket on earlier, but that's another issue. Um, We did manage to snake our way back to the landing, and as we did, the storm subsided and the lake became like glass. I like total calm, serene. What what an awesome experience to have come through such a wicked storm and experienced the peace that follows. Just incredible. I I mean, it made that near-death experience all worth it, really. By the way, for my New Brunswick friends, Ken just became the pastor of the Family Christian Fellowship in St. George, I don't know if they know what they're getting into, but life will not be dull with Ken as their pastor. And hey, I suspect I'm not the only one around here with a few harrowing stories of life on the light. Like I do have more, but one will do for today. And if any of you know Doug and Graham Emberley, they have one from Gregoire like that you should ask them about. But, But let's get back to the disciples in the Sea of Galilee. Can I admit that the first time that I read this story as a youth that I was kind of, I was judgmental against the disciples. What are they doing being afraid when they're with Jesus? Come on, boys, get it together. It it took another preacher telling this Jesus story to help me realize that, you know, these guys really are seasoned fishermen. They've experienced the water. They, They know the power of storms. These guys are not afraid because they've never seen or experienced choppy water. They know what a storm can do. Their fears are well founded. Now, those of you from Newfoundland, especially along the coast of Newfoundland, you know the danger of the sea and how many guys lose their lives fishing off the coast of Newfoundland. More people die of boating accidents in Newfoundland than any other province in Canada. I had family in the later 1700s into the early 1800s in Great Scove, Newfoundland, on the northern tip of the Avalon Peninsula. They were boat boat builders and fishermen and When I first went to Great's Cove, uh, as beautiful it is, man, it is a rough spot. And I couldn't imagine what it had been like to make a living from the sea around Great's Cove, especially in the 1790s. But back to the Sea of Galilee. The area where Jesus and the disciples were was an area prone to storms. The sea itself was 700 feet below sea level, and the mountain range that circles it rises up to about 9,200 feet above sea level. My apologies to all of you who work in metric. I never transitioned well into metric, so imperial is what you get. But anyways, what what happens in this part of the Sea of Galilee is that a mixture of cold air from the mountains and warm air from the sea make it really conducive to getting really bad storms. 
So if you go visit there today, the restaurants are up on stilts, and there are little signs that tell you that if a storm comes, to get your car out, because in the course of an hour, the parking lot can flood by up to 10 feet. And so by the time you're done with dinner, your car might just be floating away in the Sea of Galilee. And what we just read about was one of those kinds of storms. And meanwhile, you got Jesus, who was tired from a tough day of ministry. He's put a pillow over his head, and he's trying to catch some Z's. Jesus is being very intentional about getting some sleep. I mean, he's grabbed a pillow. He's taken the sleep deal quite seriously. I mean, the pillow tells you something, doesn't it? Yeah, if any of you come to Fort City with one of those neck pillows, I I know that you're probably not going to intend on making it through all of my message. Those of you with an extra large coffee, awesome. You're hunkering down to take it all in. Good for you. The question that comes to mind, though, is, why is Jesus intending on sleeping when he knows the storm is coming. I mean, he's God. He's all-knowing. He knows that this storm is coming. Why? Well, it's a setup, right? He wants his disciples to go through the storm. And and when his disciples uh, in fear, and, you know, from a human perspective, this this fear is legitimate. And when they wake Jesus up, they, they ask, don't you care that we're about to die? They might sound a little dramatic, but really with good reason. They're in a terrifying situation, and Jesus is sleeping through it, and Jesus, who they believe has the power to do something, maybe, seems to be knocked out cold, and so their anxiety just goes through the roof. Isn't that so like you and me? We're feeling overwhelmed and crushed by a situation. It's it's out of control. Maybe a relationship, finances, health, a a work situation. uh, And it feels like Jesus is sleeping, that he doesn't care. Mark tells this story because this is how we so often feel. Jesus, now awake, stands up, matter-of-factly, rebukes the weather. I mean, no incantations, no loud invectives and chants, no magic wand, no, no Harry Potter kind of stuff. Jesus just calls it down be still and the storm just kind of slinks off to the corner and and what follows is that eerie calm that comes across the sea total serenity i mean after my lake shabandawan experience the calm that followed was weird eerie and awesome all at the same time And, and jesus asked his disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith And they go, well, yeah, um, we thought we were going to die, okay? So go easy on us, Jesus. We almost died, and you were doing nothing. And then watch this. Their fear moves. This is so important to see. Their fear moves from the storm that terrorized them to Jesus himself. Here's what Mark writes. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right. With this story as a background, there are two things I'd like us to take out of this story. The first is, there is a good kind of fear. When the disciples move their fear from the terror of nature gone mad onto Jesus, they they move their fear onto something that I would say is a good kind of fear. Now, I I know, a lot of people don't like the idea that God is someone to be feared. Church-going people today kind of like to see Jesus as our homeboy, our pal. We like those parts of the Bible that picture Jesus as a shepherd, you know, snuggling with his lost sheep, and none of that is wrong. Because Jesus does invite you and me into an intimate relationship. We can be friends with God. It's awesome. 
But it's more than singing slurpy sentimental songs about wanting to be in his presence. And Lucas, hear me, I'm not saying we shouldn't sing those songs, just that there's more. I think the good fear that we're talking about is a sense of awe and reverence and profound respect that God is God. I mean, how can you understand anything about the power of God and not feel fear, awe, and profound reverence? Whenever anyone glimpses the power of God in the Bible, they are overcome with fear. Well, we're not talking a destructive fear, but a good, healthy fear. King Solomon was led by God to write these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is something right, wise, and life-giving and powerful about having a healthy fear of the God who loves us intimately. You know, the Apostle John, the, um, the first time he was with Jesus after Jesus ascended back in, in, into heaven, um, uh, he, he had been in, in the, the whole period of time of, he had become a very close friend to Jesus uh, he describes in the book that he was a friend of Jesus he experienced the love and friendship of Jesus personally um, at one point at a dinner uh, he, he leaned on Jesus' chest uh, they, these guys were really really tight so he watched Jesus ascend into heaven but the question is how would he experience Jesus uh, the next time he saw him and, and we, we read about that um, in the book of Revelation, when, when John has this, uh, this kind of this vision where he writes the book of Revelation and he has an encounter with Jesus, uh, this friend of Jesus has a powerful vision. And, and when John uh, encounters the risen, glorified Jesus, I mean, listen to what he does. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. His wow experience was so overwhelming. He's, he, he's so caught by his own unworthiness to be in this situation. He's just overcome. But look at how Jesus, who so loves John, look at how Jesus responds to John. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. You know, John's fear, his awe, his respect, this is appropriate. But Jesus meets that fear with his love. So awesome. I think it's something that, that we tend to struggle to balance out a little bit. But the fear of God is part of how we actually experience the love of God. A few years back at Christmas, I, I did a message series based on C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I think this would be a great book for some of you to read with your kids this summer. This book is about a group of children and Aslan the Lion who represents Jesus. And, and, and when the children first hear about Aslan, they feel this, uh, they feel this mixture of fear, mystery, and, and maybe loveliness. And definitely, I mean, they, they, they think Jesus is awesome or Aslan is awesome, but there's a little bit of fear at the same time. And Susan, one of these kids said, so wait, who is this Aslan? And, and Mr. Beaver says, why, he's the king. He's the great lion who is the creator of Narnia and, and, and its rightful ruler. And Susan says, a lion? I thought he was supposed to be a man. Is he quite safe? I, I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the gang, I tell you. And, and C.S. Lewis, he just nailed it there. Our God is not safe. He is worthy, worthy of our fear, but he is good. And he is the king. He is the king, our sovereign, our Lord. Same thing the disciples feel after Jesus calmed the wind and the waves. He sure isn't safe, but he sure is good. You know, true worship, when we gather here at Fort City or whenever uh, true, we get into worship, 
True worship is a mixture of awe and intimacy. Awe at the size and the power of our God and intimacy, realizing that he has paid for your full sin debt and brought you close to him. As we look at the communion station set up here at the front, uh, as we worship through communion after this message, we, we come to communion with awe and intimacy. And so this leads me to a second thing that I want us to grab from the story. Those who fear Jesus, those who fear Jesus need fear nothing else. Friends, please hear me. Please see this in our Jesus story today. Well, when you realize how powerful Jesus is and that he is in the boat with you, you don't have to be afraid of anything else. Fear Jesus, fear nothing else. Okay, in this story, after Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, he, he also pushes back on the disciples for being afraid. It's a gentle pushback, but Jesus is clearly wanting them to rethink what's going on. But hey, as I've already said, seems to me that the disciples' fear was legitimate. They were seasoned fishermen who, who knew a potentially dangerous death trap of a storm when they see one. They thought they were going to die. That's a time for fear. Jesus says, yes, but. But when I'm in the boat with you, even that fear is irrational. Jesus was in their boat. Did they really think that God would let them die? Well, I think the issue is they just didn't fully understand the power of Jesus over the storm. They just weren't sure. They just feared the storm. But had they had a healthy fear of Jesus and understood his power, they wouldn't have been afraid of the storm. You following the implications here? Again, Mark is telling this story because it's all about how you and I so often feel. We sense the storms all around us, and, and it seems like Jesus is sleeping. You ever feel that way? Sure you have. Or maybe we look around at the size of the waves coming up over our boat and they seem overwhelming. The water is filling our boat and you feel like you're about to be drowned by maybe bills or concerns about your marriage or problems with your kids or issues at work, trying to balance life and home, your health, uh, addiction issues. And you ask, how am I going to make it? And you look to Jesus and you say, do you even care? Aren't you supposed to take care of me, Jesus? Hey, can I say this? Your feelings of fear are natural. They're legitimate. But you've got to realize that if you know Jesus personally, if you've committed your life to Jesus, Jesus is in the boat with you. Jesus is right there with you. So don't listen to your feelings. They're legitimate. They're real. But don't let them control you. So when this fear comes, go to Jesus. If you think he's sleeping, it's okay to wake him up. Jesus wasn't one bit irritated at being woken up. What he pushed back on was their lack of faith, their lack of trust in what he can do. Now, some people think, and this is a question that gets thrown my way, especially by people who turn their backs on Jesus when a storm hits them. They go, well, if Jesus loves me, I mean, why doesn't he keep me from the storm? Well, here's what we see from the story. It was Jesus' idea to cross the sea in the first place. Jesus knowingly sent the disciples into the storm. Jesus wanted his disciples to experience the storm. You may not like to hear this, but the truth is, there is often something more important than God keeping you away from the storm. More important is God teaching you his faithfulness in the storm. There's certain things about God that you can only learn from in the storm. I mean, everybody wants miracles in their lives, uh, nobody wants to be in a position where they need one, right? But think about this. 
every miracle in the Bible started with a problem, a storm. So at the end of the service, when we have our time of prayer, maybe instead of coming and asking God to deliver you from the storm, you should ask God to lead you into a storm so that you can learn more about God. What do you think? Okay, maybe not, but you get the idea. Actually, I don't think you need to pray for a storm because I'm pretty sure they're coming anyways. Now in the storm, Jesus will do one of two things for you. He'll either show off his power by delivering you from the storm or he'll show off his power with his ability to keep you in the storm. Really, either way. It's a win. Okay, I want to be careful here. I know many of you suffer from fear and anxiety, and I I don't want to in any way depreciate how huge that is in your life. I I get that. But part of what Jesus is trying trying to teach us here is that often our fear and anxiety, the, the worry in our lives, the storms that are raging in our hearts, comes from forgetting either the power of Jesus over the storms or doubting his commitment to us that, that he'll give us the strength to ride through the storm. In the storm, you got to hang on to Jesus because he's in the boat with you. So two things that we get from this story. There is a good fear, a fear of the Lord is wisdom. That's a good fear. But then because of our fear of God, we don't need to fear anything else. Fear God and fear nothing else. And here's why we know this is true. Take a look at the communion station set up front here. You see bread that represents the body of Jesus nailed to the cross to purchase our deliverance, our wholeness, our freedom. We see juice that represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, washes the sin out of us so that we can experience the love of Jesus deeply and intimately. Keep your eyes on the table and imagine you're in the storm. What would the Apostle Paul say to you? It's powerful. He wrote these words to the believers in Rome. What then shall we say in response to these things, these storms? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, what storm can defeat us? Will God not, because of the cross, Because of the death and resurrection, give us all things, all that we need to live well and flourish to the glory of God in a world that sometimes can be incredibly scary. If God is for us, who can be against us? In a moment, in response to this message, I'm going to invite you to come forward for communion and worship. And as you do, will you worship with awe and intimacy? On the cross, Jesus forgave our sins so that we could enter into an intimate friendship with God. Be in awe of what he's done for us, the price that was paid for us. On the cross, he purchased our wholeness, our, that come eternity we will fully experience. Come eternity, there will be no pain, no hurt, no fear. But even today, because of the cross, Jesus will heal and deliver and move us towards wholeness. He will lead us into no fear living where all that we fear is our good God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So as you come up, come up with awe, experiencing intimacy with God and take bread and the body of Jesus and dip it into juice, the blood of Jesus and give thanks that our God not only delivers us from sin, but he delivers us from all of our fears. We'll experience that fully come eternity, but our God delights to bring eternity, heaven, protection to our lives even now. 
And hey, we have a prayer team that will be up front who would godly pray for your healing, your wholeness, your deliverance from fear. By his stripes, by what happened on the cross, you are healed. Come and ask for that healing. Come for communion and go to the prayer team and ask for that healing, for that deliverance. Let people of faith pray with you. In a moment, I'll pray, but let me first say that if any of you are gluten-free, the middle section is for you. And then after I finish praying, I just invite all of you who say, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I just invite you to take bread, uh, dip it in the juice, and partake as an act of worship and intimacy. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come forward for worship, as we worship you through communion, we, we thank you for sending Jesus who can calm our storms and bring us peace. Help us to learn what it means to fear and love Jesus at the same time, realizing that he is good all the time. Realizing that we need to fear no one else other than Jesus and that to fear Jesus is to know that he can quell our every fear. God, you are God Almighty. You are not safe, but you are good. Help us to rest in your goodness. And for any of us in the midst of fear and anxiety here this morning, Lord Jesus, would you come by and as an act of love and compassion, quell the fear and give us strength to stand strong. Thank you that you purchased our wholeness on the cross, that by your stripes we are healed. By your stripes our fear and anxiety can find peace. We pray all this for the glory of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.